you would, please turn in the Bible to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. I need to begin with an apology. I told you all last week that we would start the book of Job this morning. I heard from handfuls of you all how excited you were for us to begin Job this week, and we're excited to study that, but we are gonna take one more week off. Today, we're gonna look at Hebrews 10, and we will start Job next week. I also want to say that this Wednesday night was a, was a special night. It was our February members meeting. For those of you all that are here will know what I'm talking about. I want to say on behalf of my wife and I, thank you all so very much. What an unexpected, wonderful, and pleasant surprise that was. We feel the love. We are thankful for you all. We're thankful for a church that thinks that way, and we appreciate it. For all those that don't know what we're talking about, ask somebody. Uh, the church was very gracious to me and my wife on Wednesday night. They asked us to not be there. We weren't there. I was teaching the youth. So thank you, thank you for that. You all do need to know about it, right? Uh, so you can, you can find out. Just ask somebody, okay? Uh, also at the members meeting Wednesday night, we did a little bit more with our church membership role. And we've been working hard on that. In a church that is 104 years old, as we are, going back to when we began in 1916, uh, and there had been a lot of turnover, and there have been a lot of people come through this church, and we are trying to make sure that we pastors and this church body are loving each other well, faithfully pointing each other to Christ. And so we've been working on that. And as we have been working on this list, as you all know, just a couple of months ago, we identified 308 people on our church roll that have passed away, all right? So we worked on that. This past Wednesday, we took off 10 people that we know that are already joined other churches, right? So it just needs to be maintained better. But once you get to thinking about that, one of the real issues that comes up is church involvement, commitment and specifically, attendance, all right? So us four pastors, in having these conversations and laboring over lists and lists and names and names and people and people and souls and souls, uh, came to the idea that we should do a sermon today that specifically speaks to that from God's word. So that's, that's what we're doing, okay? From Hebrews chapter 10. You see in the bulletin that it says, we cannot neglect each other. This is a good word, neglect. And that's what we're gonna look at here today. Read with me, if you will, Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 24. Hebrews 10, 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. We cannot neglect each other. At our home, we are trying really hard to teach our kids work and work ethic and to do chores, and I hope you do as well. Sometimes this is frustrating, but we're trying. This week, I took my kids multiple times to shovel driveways, and there were several people as we were shoveling driveways that said, y'all don't have to do that. Sun's coming out this weekend. It's going to melt, and I said, well, we don't have to do it, but these kids need to learn how to do it, right? 
And that's what we're working on. Whether it be taking the trash out, bringing the trash can up from the road, whether it be doing dishes or whatnot, we are learning to do those things with great responsibility and discipline. And may y'all pray for us and the Lord give us grace in that effort. Well, this week, as we were doing dishes, we found a cup with a lid on it that we had not seen for days in one of the rooms. And it wasn't water, it wasn't Coke, it wasn't orange juice or sweet tea, it wasn't anything that it could have been that would have been all right. It was a full cup of milk. I threw the whole thing away. I didn't wash it. I didn't teach them how to wash it, but what I did do is make all five of these kids come and put their nose, I didn't make them touch it, I did not make them touch it, but I did make them put their nose right there to understand what every adult in the room knows, milk stinks. It gets bad if it is neglected, right? Milk is good. It's really one of my favorite things to drink, but milk left out, neglected, gets really bad. And I want you to understand that church and your heart gets really bad if we neglect it, if we neglect what God has told us to do. Now, I'm nervous this morning, and you can ask the other guys. We talked all week about this because I know that there's a huge chance that we could be misunderstood here today and you think, well, that, the, that I have to go to church or that we're legalistic or that we are too strict or something like that. And that's not what I mean. That's not what we're wanting to say. We're wanting to see that the Bible teaches that when God saves us and brings us to a relationship with him, that he also causes us to value and place importance on being committed to each other. That is what the Bible teaches. Now is also a good time for us to say that we don't really worry too much about what the people at home are thinking if they're just being critical. We don't worry too much about uh, <clears throat> how favorable this type of a message is, whether people are going to want to share it and listen to it over and over again, or whether it pats you on the back or makes you feel good. The, the job of the pastor is to shepherd the people by pointing them to what the Bible says, and that is our task. I hope that on a lot of levels, that is why you like your church, because that hopefully, by the grace of God, is what we are committed to. So I'm nervous that today may be a sermon that you may not like. I'm really nervous that today may be a sermon that everybody watching our live version may not like. But I want you to understand that Jesus says, if you love him, you love his church. If you love Jesus, you love his church. But before we get going, let me make a disclaimer here about neglect, okay? We're not speaking toward those who are unable to attend due to age or health. We understand that. We are not legalistic. We understand. We have grace all day long for them. Matter of fact, it is a huge effort of our church to keep up with those people and put it on our end to be in contact with them, 
to visit them, to call them, to write them, and we are doing that. We are not speaking to somebody who cannot attend due to age or health. Secondly, we are not speaking to somebody who cannot attend regularly due to work or business or travel or things like that. We understand. There are lots of professions these days where people have to work during church times, and we understand that. We hope that you would understand that there are lots of ways to show your involvement and commitment and relationships without neglecting them, right? We understand that. We have a lot of grace in that area. We are not speaking toward them. And then lastly, and I hope this will be totally understood, we are not speaking even really toward serious COVID concerns, right? I hope everybody, both here and watching online, understands this sermon and this topic is not, does everybody hear me? It's not, it's not, it's not coming based off of the COVID situation. I assure you that. This sermon is coming based off of our membership role and how many people say they're a part of the church and aren't, okay? That's the burden. It's not the COVID issue, okay? Now, notice that I did say serious COVID concerns, and hopefully we are moving in a good direction where those can start coming back. But I wanted us to say that at first. So uh, due to age or health, we're not speaking to that. Due to irregular work, business, or travel, we're not speaking to that. Uh, Serious COVID concerns, we're not speaking to that. But we are wanting to say that the attitude of a Christian should be, I really want to meet with my church. Everybody hear that? I really want to meet with my church. And we understand if your answer is, I'm just not able to right now. I'm unable to right now. But the attitude should be, I like and I want to meet with my church. We cannot neglect that according to the Bible. So today I want to give you two encouraging points from straight from these two verses in Hebrews 10. Number one, the Bible calls us to be a considerate church family. The Bible calls us to be a considerate church family. Verse 24 says, let us consider. What a good word. Let us consider. Let us give mind and thought and heart to that, to them, to that place, to the people in that place, to the work of those people, to the efforts of these people that I belong to. Let us consider them. Now, I'm not going to get really into it today, but you will notice glaringly obvious here today that it's not saying, let you consider or let me consider or let I consider. It is always let us consider. We together should be considering this. Let us consider. Let us consider how to not neglect each other. Let us consider how to encourage each other. Let us consider. All of that's in these two verses here, but I want you to see specifically what it does say to consider. Verse 24, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. This means that we are putting mind to what would stir up other 
people. I know you've kind of been conditioned and I know we all kind of fall back into the mindset of, do I need to go to church today, this week, this month for my sake? Am I Christian enough, good enough to not go to church and make it another week? Am I handling my life struggles well enough that I don't need church? And all of that is considering for yourself. And yet this passage is not asking you to consider it for yourself. This passage is asking you to consider it for themselves, for them, for those people. And this, again, may not be liked much by the world or for those people that don't like church, but for those who want to live for the Lord Jesus Christ, the burden shifts to other people, those like-minded, those committed, those who are in the church family together. Let us consider them As Josh Womble taught us many times over the years, when you hear of churches arguing over what the music's gonna be like, people say things like, well, I just like this type of music. And Josh Womble said, the thought should have been all along, well, what type of music do they like? Isn't that helpful? Isn't that helpful? Yes. It's not about, did you like that song or not? It's about, did they like that song or not? when we are considering everybody else. Let us consider. Now, this word stir up's a good word, right? Every one of us have had the experience before where you're trying to drink some coffee and you poured the sugar into the coffee, but you forgot to stir it, right? And so you drink it, it's not sweet, and you drink it, it's not sweet, you drink it, it's not sweet, and you get to the bottom and you got that little, like, uh, mushy, slimy, huge pile of sugar at the bottom, right? Because you forgot to stir it up. There's a lot of Christians these days who just aren't stirred up. They're frustrated, they're grumpy, they're angry, they're quick to anger. There's been some neglect in their lives. And I know you got a lot of reasons for what you think that is causing that, and life is hard, and the world does sure, sure seem to be a mess. But would you hear me today That the Bible saying that part of the issue at least is that we have neglected to stir up each other. That we have neglected to stir up each other. Perhaps a more loving world and a world full of more good works is not, listen, is not telling everybody to be more loving. Like how empty is that? It's not looking in your, yourself in the mirror and just saying, I need to be more loving. How crazy is that? It is the body of Christ understanding that God uses me to stir up you and God uses you to stir up you and God uses you to stir up you. That's what the Bible's saying. Let us consider how we can stir up our hearts to love and good works. We have to think about these things and we cannot neglect it. This word stir up's a good word, isn't it? My mind immediately goes to making sweet tea. If you don't do it right, you're gonna have a big problem. It's not gonna be sweet tea. Stir up. But this word stir up means to stimulate. Isn't that a good word? Stimulate. Get it going. Make it happen. Make it work. Bring it alive. Bring some energy into it. What will make Christian people loving and do good works? What will make Christian servants, followers of Christ, loving and do good works? Well, the Bible tells us here, other Christians that prioritize them, stirring them up. That's what the Bible says. 
Now, obviously, this makes it where we must be around each other, that we must be committed to each other. Church people are to be always considering others. So I want to give you a few ideas. These are just a few. But I want to give you a few ideas of how we should think. And remember, again, I'm already saying that our attitude about church should be, I really want to. I wonder how Matt and Liz McBroom and the kids ministry is going. Have you considered that? Have you considered what their needs might be and how might they be built up? It's one thing to consider. I wonder how Jake and Sam Beatty are doing with the student ministry and youth group and how that's going. We took off for several months during 2020 and it's hard to come back. You've all seen the reports of how uh, kids are struggling these days. It's through the roof, right? It's the highest numbers they've ever seen on kids depressed and kids frustrated and anxiety and suicidal. It's through the roof. It's the highest it's ever been. I wonder how our leaders are doing with that. Have you thought about that? Have you considered how you might build them up? Have you written them a note or sent them a text that said, hey, you're doing a huge work? Or have you only been thinking about church for you? And only thinking about church for you is awesome and I hope it's helping you. I hope our church does help, but that's not what the Bible says to do. We are to stir up each other. We are to consider that. Have you considered that? Or what about Mary Catherine Anderson and how she's in a new role of leading our nursery ministry where she has, listen to me, she has to take control of 75 volunteers that work a schedule for Sunday school nursery and Sunday morning nursery and Sunday night nursery and Wednesday night nursery and to make sure and cancellations and all of those things. We have to make sure that there are enough there. In a church that has tons of kids and babies going where there are so many, has anybody considered her in this role? The tough job that she has, I wonder if she needs anything. I wonder if she's been tired or frustrated or discouraged. You know how many times people do a no call, no show? Or you know how many times somebody gets sick and doesn't show up? And guess who has to always fill in? Mary Catherine. Has anybody considered? Seriously, has anybody considered how she's doing? That's just one person. And the Bible does not say here to just consider those in leadership. Those are just the first couple examples I've given. Bible says that we're to consider each other. Consider each other. I wonder how all of these newlyweds are doing. Have you considered that? We've done 10 weddings here in the last two years. We have another several here in 2021. Marriage is tough. Marriage is challenging. Many of you have been married a while. We covet your advice, your direction. We covet your prayers. We covet your help. We covet your support. I wonder how these newlyweds are doing. Have you considered how you might build them up? But so much more importantly than even those things are just the individuals that are pilgrims on the path to heaven in this trying world, which to one degree or another represents every single one of us in a hard time, lonely, sad, tired, dealing with it, questioning everything as we are these days. Have you considered anybody else? I wonder how such and such is doing with the recent loss. That they're home alone, lonely, because such and such passed away. I wonder how they're doing with that. I wonder how they're dealing with it. I wonder how such and such is doing with the recent news of his or her health doing so bad and the treatments that she's going through. I wonder how she's handling it. I wonder if she knows that we're praying for her. I wonder if she knows that we love her. I wonder if she needs a ride. I wonder if she needs a pick-me-up. I wonder how I might be used in that way. 
wonder how those people are doing now that their kids are at college. For the last 18 years, they've been involved in their teenagers' lives, but now they are empty nesters and their kids are gone. I wonder how they're doing. I wonder how much they miss them. I wonder if they're discouraged. And what about those parents or those moms or those stay-at-home moms or those single moms and how they're doing with all of that? Parenting can be so discouraging and frustrating. Have you considered them? Have you considered the people that are lonely? Have you been considering each other? The Bible teaches us to be a considerate church family. I want to read to you this quote from commentator on the idea of neglect. He says, the reasons why some of these people in the book of Hebrews were in the habit of neglecting their responsibilities to meet together are not spelled out here. We do not know. But later chapters will hint at factors that may be the issue, such as persecution, indifference, or apathy. But whatever the precise reasons, the following warnings that we see in Hebrews about apostasy, falling away from faith in Christ, implies that people who deliberately, listen to me, and persistently abandon the fellowship of Christian believers are in danger of repeating the sin of Israel and of abandoning the Lord himself. And we know it to be also true. To neglect the church that Jesus loves and died for will eventually lead to neglecting Jesus. Now, they may not say that or admit that, but it's happening in a colder and colder, darker, darker heart. If it is not stirred up, we're in trouble. We are to be considerate. We are to be a considerate church family. In the New Testament reading that we read earlier in the service from Acts chapter four, uh, we studied this a couple weeks ago in the mid- midweek Bible study, but I wanted to read how that little section ended in Acts chapter four. Just listen to this. It says, there was not a needy person among them. And then it goes and it says, and it was distributed to each as any had need. In their church or churches, they were meeting the needs of each other. And certainly context is very, very different from 2,000 years ago to now, big difference. And certainly we are living in one of the most blessed, resourceful countries in the history of the world. We have lots here. And so we don't recognize as much needs in our lives. We often wrestle with wants, but not needs. But the question comes up as you study the book of Acts and how the early church is relating to each other and meeting each other's needs. The question comes up, how did they know? Is there somebody in our church right now that needs a new pair of shoes? Would you know that? Is there somebody in our church right now that just this time, just this month, needs their LG and E bill paid? It's not habitual. They don't need it every couple months. They just this one time, and they'll be back on their feet after this. Is there somebody in our church that needs that? Would you know that? Have you considered that they may be in that position? With this super cold week, where it hasn't even, apart from yesterday, hasn't even gotten above freezing for a week. Is there anybody in our church right now that needs a space heater? How would you know that? Have you considered any of these things? The early church knew what the needs were of those people that were in their lives. Acts 4 says they knew the needs of each other and they worked to meet them. Now listen, I know you all and I love you all 
And I know, I think I know that you would meet their needs. I can't wait today to just look around here after church and see who can I ask to meet this need or meet that need or meet this need because I know that you will. We're generous and we're gracious and we're giving, right? Tomorrow morning when Josh Womble loads the plane to go to Mexico, guess what he's taking with him? He's taken 15 super nice Spanish study Bibles with 15 handwritten notes in English translated in Spanish by our Spanish church members to give to all 15 of the pastors a big, nice study Bible, which they would never find down there where they're going. That is an awesome gift because our church has the money to do that and we gave the money to do that. That is outstanding. Can you imagine, right, being a pastor, right, to an indigenous people group somewhere tucked away in Mexico and somebody bringing to you a brand new, really nice, Nice study Bible. Praise the Lord for that. We are a generous church. I know you are. Wednesday night was proof of that. The issue here is are you aware of the needs to be generous too? The issue here has you have you considered that there are needs? And when we are only thinking about ourselves, we don't get to considering what there might be. But let's take it one step further. Obviously, the issue with really understanding and identifying needs is, are you close to the people? How would you know? Have you spent time with them? Have you listened? Have you noticed? Have you talked? Have you done life together? Have you been around them? That's where needs are recognized. The early church knew and loved each other. They were in each other's lives. They were considerate toward each other. They considered each other's situations. They did not neglect each other. Number one, may we be a considerate church that we are thinking about each other, that we are considering what we might do to stir up our church family. But number two, secondly, and there's only two points today, while we are to be a considerate church family, we are also to be a courageous church family. Now, when you hear the word courageous, I know you think big and bold and brave. And I guess that's what courage means. But did you know that courage is created through encouragement? Have you ever thought about that that's the root word of encourage is courage? That courage comes from encouragement. That when you encourage somebody, you're not trying to give them a compliment like, hey, I really like those shoes. You're actually trying to build up strength in them. You're trying to build up confidence and boldness and courage. That's what encouragement is to do. Perhaps you will reevaluate what you think is encouraging if it did not create courage in them. And if you look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. All the more as you see the day drawing near. It's not, hey, I see you got a new Bible. I really like that Bible. That's a cool cover it has. It's not as encouraging as you might think. What's encouraging is, I see you got a new Bible. Man, I love the Bible. And I hope you get as much out of it as I have because it has truly become the source of my life, the fuel that keeps me going, the foundation to my marriage, the guide for my parenting, the very food my soul needs. May you devour it as I have.
that will give a believer courage. May we be a courageous church because we are an encouraging church. Not neglecting to encourage each other, we need courage as the day is drawing near. So obviously, if we are not considering each other, then we are not encouraging each other, and therefore we will see weaknesses or frailty or lacks of courage in our lives, in our church family, in our people. And that is recognizable, is it not? When we see weak believers or those who are struggling or those who lack courage, may we take a step back and not think what is their problem, but may we just honestly and humbly say they need to be stirred up. They need to be considered. How might we, how might we stir them up and create courage in them? Lack of encouragement will create discouragement as we know. And as I was studying, I came across, and I think it's very helpful, four ways that neglect of church, four ways that neglect of church is discouraging. I want to say it like this so that it is rather pointed. Those that neglect church and considering and encouraging are discouraging. And here's four ways. Number one, you want to take notes on this. Number one, they make evangelism harder. When there are people that say that they are a part of the church and say they follow Christ, but they are not a part of the church in activity, it really does weaken the efforts. Just take our church's example. We have many good relationships here in the community. Our efforts have been in many ways off the charts to serve the schools and the ball teams and the community and the neighborhoods, and we've done a lot of that. We have been trying very hard to point people to Christ. We have been evangelistic. We have shared Jesus. We have spoken with the gospel. We have gone out of our way to create relationships. And yet, quite honestly, it can be put in a negative impact on those relationships when somebody else who's claiming to be like us is not living for Christ. They listen to what we say, and they go back and try to process it with the opposite of what somebody else says. I remember a few years ago, I was witnessing to a man. I was talking to him about life and church and Jesus. And he told me where he worked. And it was a place in which we have several people in our church that work there. And so I was thinking, awesome, we're seeing some connections here and we may be able to tie this together and I could be able to get them, those people or even specifically this person to help with the cause. We can love on them from this angle and they can love on them from this angle. And I was thinking that me and that man could both be a helpful witness to him and soon, maybe very soon, this person would trust in Christ and get baptized and join the church. And when I asked him if he knew such and such and that he went to our church and that I knew him well, the man did not even believe me. He said, no way. There's no way he's a church guy. I would have never figured that. And while I tell that story thinking of a specific individual, I think you've lived that more often than we would like to admit. Claiming Jesus as your savior is not a witness Living faithfully for Jesus and the church he loves is a witness. 
The world will know that we are his disciples by the way we love each other. John 13, 35. So number one, it makes evangelism harder. Number two, when People claim Christ and do not attend church. It confuses new believers. Yes, it does. New believers need discipleship. If you're here today and you are new to church or new to the Bible or new to Christianity or new to listen to preaching, you are going to totally agree with what I am saying right now. New believers need discipleship. They want to be taught their Bible. They are being taught. They are being shown how to live for Christ. We work at this. We work hard at this. But once a new believer starts to grow, they begin to look around and wonder why so many Christians and so many church people aren't taking these things seriously seriously, and it confuses them. It is very confusing. Well, my church says this, but these people do this, and I'm trying to just make sense of all of it. It is confusing for new believers. I remember when I was in high school, some 20 plus years ago, I remember a friend of mine who was involved in church who had gotten so on fire for God. She was memorizing scripture. She was going on mission trips. She had been to youth camp, and at 17, 18 years old, it looked like God was doing a work in her life until one day she gets home, and her parents say, we need to sit down and talk. And her parents said, and I quote, Something's got to change. You're going to have to find a happy medium. All this church and all this Bible isn't going to work. You need to know that we're Christians too. We're just not as into it as that. You think she understood? You think that built her up? You think she was confused? Absolutely she was confused. And to this day, I think, she's been done with it. Because the influence of parents is the most influential part of our lives. It's confusing to new believers. Number three, it's discouraging to those who do attend. It is discouraging to those who do attend. A couple years ago, I was working hard with a different section of our community and there were some major needs, I mean, just some obvious needs. And so I asked, hey, can, can we do this? They said, man, we've been wanting to get that done for a while. We would love you. I said, I think we could, I think we could do that. We, there's enough resources around here and enough contact. I think we can make this happen. It's kind of a big project. It was like, I think, about a $12,000 project. Nothing to do with our church, really nothing to do with ministry. Just a community project that I was working with. And so I said, can we do this? Talk to leaders. Can we do it? Yeah, we can do this. I said, all right. So I went and made some calls, and I got to the person that could approve it. They said, yes, we, we can do that. I said, well, here's how much it's gonna be. We've got a couple quotes. Here's how much it's gonna be. They said, okay, we can do it. Got to go ahead. So I went back and I said, hey, they said we can do it. I said, awesome, great, let's get it done. You, you, just, you just tell us what we need, what's gonna happen. I said, okay. Two days later, the person approved it called me back and said, hey, we're not gonna be able to do it. There's some, some bills that haven't been paid and there's a disagreement going on between the two parties, do you know anything about that? I said, no, I didn't know anything. They, didn't, they didn't tell me anything about that. They said, yeah, until that gets resolved, we're not gonna be able to go forward with the project, but I've already approved the money, you can get it done. You just need to get those two parties to talk. Well, let me tell you something. Those two parties that on paper in the professional life couldn't get it worked out, were at the lake together every weekend hanging out like buddies. Crushed me, crushed me discouraged me. 
that they had so separated working for the cause in their professional lives that on the weekends they hang out, they hung out together like everything was cool. Well, that had nothing to do with church. But doesn't the same idea happen? If the church has a mission to exist to proclaim Jesus and has core values like gospel, community, and mission, and we are here today to rally around Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior, that died on the cross for us and rose from the grave that changes lives, and we are working to see the rest of the world come to know him, to be forgiven of their sins and escape the judgment that awaits the whole world. If we are working for that cause and working tirelessly for it, suffering through it at times, and there's others that are quite honestly indifferent toward it, isn't that discouraging? Another story, just a few years ago, I found myself in an office talking to some people, and I I felt like the Lord wanted me to bring up a spiritual conversation there. I felt like the Lord wanted me to be a witness. And so on the spot, I asked them, if they went to church anywhere. One of the ladies in the office spoke up and said, yeah, I go to First Baptist Church, Fairdale. That was about as awkward as I've ever been. She didn't know me, I didn't know her, but I was on staff here. I couldn't just let it go, so I said, oh, well, I'm a pastor there. We've never met. That's discouraging, y'all. It's discouraging. How do you think her family feels about that? It's discouraging to those that attend. Then number four, they worry their leaders and pastors. You all may not feel this, but I want to share it with you. We are often asked, what do we like about being a pastor? And there are truly so many things. I love my job, and I love doing what we do. But we are also asked, what do we not like about being a pastor? And there are not many things, to be honest. It's not how difficult people can be. It's not bad attitudes. It's not disagreements. All that's part of it. We're okay. God's gracious. It's not sin, right? The Bible tells us what to do with that. You call it out, you meet, you see what's gonna happen and people repent and God gives repentance and we see that happen quite a bit. It's not sin, that doesn't make the job awful. What makes the job bad and not enjoyable is people that don't care about the cause, to be honest. It's people that drop off, it's people that just disappear, it's people who, to use a 2021 word, it's people that ghost you, it's people that don't text back or don't call back, it's people that used to be in the fight that now aren't in the fight. It's people who fake it or people who hurt the cause. This worries our leaders and pastors. There may be some places or some churches where the pastors are just doing their job and in it for themselves, but I assure you on behalf of myself and Matt and Jake and Womble, We love you guys, we pray for you guys, we labor for you guys, we long to hear from you guys, and we want to see you follow Jesus. When people aren't involved, it makes evangelism hard, it confuses the new believer, it discourages the involved church and tender, and it worries the leaders and pastors. Number one says that we are to be a considerate church family. Let us consider how to stir each other up. 
But number two says that we are to be a courageous church. We are wanting our involvement, our lack of neglect, so not neglecting, we are wanting our involvement to create courage in other people. We want you to be able to say, I am more committed or more involved or my faith is strengthened because of you. And not just from the leadership, certainly that ought to be the case in any church that has faithful shepherds, but that ought to be pew to pew, shoulder to shoulder, that ought to be walking in the hall, that I am a man of God because you're a man of God. I'm a woman of God because you're a woman of God. I want to parent my children because the way you parent your children. I want to be a witness in the workplace because you're encouraging me to be a witness in the workplace. I want to be a light in the dark world because my church is stirring me up to make me a light in the dark world. This is the way God has designed it to be. Another commentator speaking to the whole idea of this passage says, this would be a continued care for one another that finds an expression in love, good works, and the mutual encouragement that active participation in the gatherings of the community makes possible. This is not, listen, this is not an invitation for us to be judgmental busybodies, making, making the lives of others a burden. But it does mandate that we take a lively interest in the affairs of other believers. That we want to be the church. When we first started here many years ago, we did that little fellowship time. See, right now, the way we do the fellowship time is we have one song that Andrew leads, and then he says, y'all greet each other, right? And we walk around. I don't know how long he gives us, what, two minutes to walk around and, and try to see everybody. I really like that, right? There's a lot of discussion these days. Y'all may not know this. There's a lot of discussion these days in churches. Should they do that or should they not, Right? And all the introverts are thinking, please stop doing that. I'm not even standing up. Tell people to stop coming and shaking my hand and welcoming me, right? And all the extroverts are saying, you know, I love that. This should be like 10 minutes long, right? When we first started here with Brian Crady lead music, and I love Brian, every single time that we went to the greeting, he would stand up here and play hymn 386, the family of God. Some of y'all remember that. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain and cleansed by his blood. Joint heirs with Jesus as we travel this sod. Oh, I'm part of the family, the family of God. And the whole time that we were interacting, we were singing that. I kind of felt like I was in a musical. It was like... And I, I think about that all the time. Is life hard? You better believe it is. Are there some days where we're thinking, man, I didn't want to come today. I sure could have slept in. But does God use Christian life on Christian life to strengthen Christian life? Yes, he does. And we must prioritize that. We cannot neglect it. In closing, let me show you. Look back to Hebrews 10. In verse 24, it says, and let us consider. In verse 23, look what it says, and let us hold fast. In verse 22, it says, let us draw near. Does everybody see all three of those, let us? Let us draw near, let us hold fast, let us consider. Does everybody see that? 
Clearly, this writer of Hebrews is wanting us to get this. But notice where it came from. Look to beginning of chapter 10. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. Look at verse four. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. Verse 12. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins. He sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. The Bible teaches that by Jesus Christ, God's son dying on the cross in your place, God has removed all of your sins and God has made you holy unto God if you will believe. And the Bible then flows from there to chapter 10, verse 19, and saying, let us hold fast, let us draw near, let us consider each other so that we keep believing in Jesus. Church, we cannot neglect each other. As we trust Christ, let's consider each other and give courage to each other. Father in heaven, thank you for Hebrews 10. And for one more week of a break before Job, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would give grace and mercy and favor to the hearers. Father, may we never be a church that is legalistic over church attendance, and may we never wrongly make somebody feel bad about their involvement. Father, may we encourage people to be the church, to be obedient, to consider each other. Father, we pray that this would flow from what the beginning of Hebrews 10 said, that Christ is the one sacrificed for us and our life is in him. Father, we ask, we ask God that your Holy Spirit would apply the word of God today and strengthen your church here to be a witness for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.